it's over and over again that God brings his kingdom through the weak. And but we order our life around strength. And I can't fully explain how we came to this place, but I know that it's making us sick. I know that we're all tired. Yes. Hello, welcome to the Wellspring Soul Care Podcast. I'm your host, Richard Gotthardt, and I'm part of the Wellspring staff team. As a pastor for almost 30 years in several different churches, from small to large, in different roles, it's been my privilege to see ministry from the inside out. And now, as a part of Wellspring, I'm part of an organization that seeks to come alongside pastors and leaders of various kinds to help bridge the disconnect that often exists between our inner and outer life. We want to help you pay attention to your soul, that deepest part of you that's so easily overlooked and sometimes neglected. So we're inviting you into the conversations that we'll be having, not only for yourself, but for your leadership and with a variety of different kinds of thinkers, pastors, leaders, and others. We hope these will be helpful to you. And today's conversation is a great way to begin. We're talking with KJ Ramsey, author of the book, This Too Shall Last. Finding Grace When Suffering Lingers. KJ is a gifted author. She's a therapist, a podcast host, and she is also the wife of Ryan, who's a pastor and serves currently as a chaplain. Most of all, she's a follower of Jesus who's deeply honest and vulnerable about her own journey of pain and suffering. She's been battling an autoimmune disease for over a decade, living in chronic pain. Her writing has appeared in Christianity Today and other publications, And her book has been critically praised as a source of help and wisdom to lots of people. I'm glad we get to have this conversation today. You'll be helped by it. Please enjoy. Everyone, we are just so uh, pleased and honored to have uh, KJ Ramsey joining us. And KJ, it is so great to to meet you in this way. It's great um, to meet you. Yeah, and I'm uh, I'm holding in my hand here the book that uh, you have written that got released well in the middle of a pandemic. This is your first book, right? Yeah, it's my first book. In fact, I mean, uh, I just I think you just said this yesterday uh, on on your in, at the time of this recording. Anyway, it was on Amazon's list of what was the category? They have those subcategories. Oh, gosh. Well, it... I thought this was hilarious. So it's subcategories. There's like these categories that books are are by and it's based on like your book description and they kind of just like give it to you give the categories to you so I didn't claim these categories for myself but my categories were like it was number one in uh Christian death and grieving death that's Christian a death one. and right Christian death and grief counseling and then okay. Christian personal growth and, and so my good, that that feels better right so I was like well you can Die, grieve, and grow all for two ninety nine. Because at the time of this recording, it's on sale the Kindle for two ninety nine. <laughs> that's right. That's right. So you do you? I mean, but you want to get the order right because if you you know right. you don't want to. It's hard. Well, I don't think. Well, we I don't know after you, we die, but we don't know. We don't well, know. Well, there's a self to lose and a self to find. So you can wow. you can really go deep with that theologically. Wow, man. 
I'm going to have to sit with that for a while. In all seriousness, this book has, I, I, um, you know, I read a, a quite a bit and, um, I have marked this thing up like, like nothing I've read in a really long time. Mm -hmm. And, and, uh, one just want to say you're such a gifted writer, but it's, it's not just beautiful prose. I, I find there's a depth both theologically, um, and even academically as you dive into, uh, neuroscience and, uh, so many different, um, so many different lenses and layers. It's just such a unique look at, um, at suffering and at mm -hmm. pain. And, um, so I think you've just given a tremendous gift to so many people and I'm, I'm one of them. So thank you. Well, thank you. But as we, uh, before we jump into some of the content of your book, it, it emerges out of, in a lot of ways, your own journey, right? Mm -hmm. And so um, for those who haven't read or don't aren't familiar with you, could, could you share just a little bit of your own uh, narrative, your own story? Absolutely. Yeah. So yeah, you don't write a book called This Too Shall Last without something lasting <laughs> that right. you don't probably want. I've had to grapple with suffering being part of my story in both having an autoimmune disease that that's incurable and causes daily pain every mm. single day and has for the last almost 12 years um, wow. to also experiencing spiritual abuse. And, and then along the way with these other kinds of pain, like getting in touch with the loss and pain and wounds that have been in my whole story but that mm. I wasn't paying attention to until my current pain kind of made me and in fact you talk a little bit in the book about your pain because and I, I can't remember the name or maybe even pronounce the name of your yeah it's okay it's called ankylosing spondylitis as but you can just remember the acronym as but you've experienced even people minimizing or even questioning doctors and medical people like, oh, this is what all in your head or not even real. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a really common experience of people with chronic pain that we, especially women, but it happens to men too. Often there will be dismissal that these symptoms that you have aren't real or aren't that bad. And with diseases like mine, there is 20% of patients whose blood work is always normal. And I'm in that wow. 20% where on paper I look healthy, but I can be in the middle of a massive flare of inflammation and need significant help to get out of that. And so for the first four years of my illness, I didn't have a diagnosis. I was getting treatment because they had kind of provisional thoughts on what it might be. But I had a lot of, I had multiple doctors and the one in the book that I mentioned was just yes. kind of one experience, but there, there have been many over the years. And I, I especially put it in there because it's such a common experience mm. to have your mm. pain dismissed. It, it shuts, it can be a moment where we shut down even further and we, you, you start to misbelieve even yourself and your own evaluation of what your body's experiencing. And I want people to be able to know, A, that they're not the only ones that experience that, but B, that 
standing up for the the validity of your experience is how you can get to a place of having joy and like goodness even when pain doesn't go away. And that so much is the message I, 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 it comes through again and again in, in your writing is, is God wants to meet us, right, in, the, in that place of pain as opposed to avoid us or that he's abandoned or forgotten us. Yeah, there's this phrase in um, one of the like therapeutic modalities that I draw from the most polyvagal theory that story follows state. And so like your physiological state is actually what creates the story that you tell yourself about what you're living and who you are Mm. and where you are. And so like that story that I, maybe God doesn't really love me or I need to try harder. I need to get Mm -hmm. past this. This doesn't matter. This isn't that big of a deal. That first starts out as this physiological experience of distress that is rooted in a whole history for you of experiencing that you're not supposed to be that way. You're not supposed to be weak. And the only way that you change the story that God isn't with you there or that you feel abandoned by him is to attend to your state, your physical state, and let God show you that he's with you. Let yourself be soothed. So I think that's yeah. the that's the heart of yeah. this. It's that all of these places, these moments of dysregulation and distress in all of our lives from the minute rise of anxiety waiting in the line at the grocery store and the people are too close to you and you heard someone cough. <laughs> to the big moment of waiting for test results and thinking Mm. that you you might have cancer um that Mm. god actually cares about it all and wants to meet us all there but we can only be met if we're willing to be there yeah i wonder if i could can i just read a little part Uh, i want to read your own words back to you if (laughs) i can it's a little longer quote so let me just read a part and then ask you to just kind of speak to it a little bit It says, we live in a conqueror culture, vultures preying on weakness, fixed on gnawing our sorrows into stories of success. If we can't protect ourselves from pain, we'll overcome it. We'll search high and low for its purpose, and having found it, we'll show the world God's strength. And maybe pastors or leaders hearing that are going, yeah, yeah. But then you said, even this effort exhausts us, bringing us back to the the barren ground of being in bodies that that won't do what we wish they would do, lives that don't look like we wish they would look. And I would even maybe add to that and churches that don't always seem the way that we hope they would. And if what we hear from God's people is largely the language of try hard and triumph, the sugar lipped expectation that we'll get better and move on when our efforts are futile and triumph seems distant, we might just believe that the story of Jesus isn't for us or isn't even true. Prolonged pain becomes shame a hidden hurt that we might not be loved by God after all. And I just, I mean, I underlined that and sat with that. And I just think that we in the church, and I'm speaking largely of say the evangelical church, but we seem to, as much as we say God is for us and he came to rescue us and save us and the person of Jesus, 
we seem to not know what to do with prolonged pain if it doesn't if it if we can't in three minutes get from the the pain to the the possibility or the triumph really fast yeah we we just we've all inherited a great discomfort with discomfort <laughs> mm. <laughs> like we we've inherited this mentality that we should be able to fix problems and there should be vaccines for infections and mm-hmm. <laughs> you you go to a doctor and the and the doctor helps you or we, we've all swallowed this american dream that if you just do the right things and try hard enough put your ducks in a row things are going to work out for you and they will improve right and, and even it, like in we church, know, right? We know. Yeah. And it's, I think especially in church, mm-hmm. you know, Eugene Peterson talks about just all the time. He talked about the, like the way that we have commodified church and mm. we've somehow through hundreds of years, like, created this way of looking at the body of Christ as though we're, we're blessed and we're doing God's work if we're growing and if we're mm-hmm. always improving up and to the right. Yeah. And yeah, but like the whole story of God's people is this story of, of exile and mm-hmm. there being a remnant Oh, that's small and that of, of suffering of people on the margins being pursued, not the people who are shiny and strong Mm. of there's it's over and over again that God brings his kingdom through the weak. And, but we order our life around strength Mm. and I can't fully explain how we came to this place, but I know that it's making us sick. I know that we're all tired. Yes. It, it, it feels like this too shall last. It feels like um, that could be the might be the caption for this this year, the season we're all in, right? And. I, I wonder if you could, what you would say, because you're married to a pastor, right? Mm-hmm. And um, that I'm sure has its, uh, it, that has its unique challenges, as my wife has, reminds me. Um, but pastors, I think, can particularly feel the sense of, I need to be strong. I need to be, you know, spiritual. I need to ha- sort of ha- um, tell everybody it's all going to be okay and be this picture of strength and not know how to navigate or what's appropriate even to navigate, to lead people in a season like this. What, what would you say to, you know, pastors and, and leaders that are like, you don't they don't want to just throw up their hands and, and yet they also, we don't want to invite people to like, you know, live a denial or pretense either. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so challenging right now. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. And I will say, my husband is a chaplain right now. So I think we've got, we have 
for sure a much more peaceful existence in a sense. Um, not, you know, being in the space of leading a church at the moment, which we have given thanks for <laughs> many times in the last few months. So like we're remembering pastors in prayer ourselves because we were, were watching you know, our own pastor go through this and our friends and it's the weight Yes. On pastors right now is immense. It's so heavy. It's so yeah. heavy. So I think when I look at scripture and I look at the way that that Paul, for example, talked about his life. Mm. He he didn't exclude his struggle from his expression of the gospel. Mm-hmm. And he's not the only one, you know. the The prophets sure as hell didn't either. <laughs> right? Uh, there's there's a chorus throughout all of Scripture of God's people, of the leaders of God's people, leading with honesty about mm-hmm. their own weakness and their mm-hmm. own even sense of hopelessness. Sometimes, mm. and it feels like such a risk. It's it's more than feels like it is a risk because our people aren't used to leaders being frank about their their real vulnerabilities. But you don't have to be so strong. I think that's what yeah. I want want pastors mm. to know first and foremost. You don't have to be so strong, and perhaps if you could let yourself be a little bit more weak, it would be a gift to your people to Mm. guide them through lament, to help them name where they are in this experience of exile. Like let your tears be part of the truth of where God is taking us right now. Mm. And let God meet you there as you do it. Yeah. And I think you will be surprised. I think you will be surprised at the like rejuvenating grace that comes when you show up in your weakness and Jesus meets you and you get to have this sense that you're seen and still accepted and still somehow valuable as a leader right then and if- there. Even if I don't have all the answers right now, even if I'm not, um, I think you use the term, and I really love it. It's like, we want to pole vault. We want to yeah. pole vault over the, <laughs> yeah. over our difficulties and just show us the, the, the quick way forward, but, or out of it. But so I'm hearing you say, no, I think actually pastors and saying to their churches, and maybe many of you that are listening have already done this, but to be able to say, I'm, I'm struggling. I am uh, this is hard. I, I, I feel lost sometimes. I feel confused. I too wonder how long this will go on. And I think you said the other thing is a, a lament. We're not, uh, I don't know if it's a Western culture thing, but we don't do lament, do we? Yeah. What, 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 why are we so uncomfortable with lament? Well, I think I want to, I want to circle back to something you just said. Sure. Of, yeah. You said, um, Maybe you pastors feel like, well, I have been sharing that I'm struggling or that this is hard. And and I think what, what came to mind for me is part of what is so 
hard in this is you're we're tired of having to talk about how hard this is Mm. and i just want to encourage all of us (laughs) those listening us to here like because i feel this way too um the people of Israel were in exile for a long time. Mm-hmm. And I've been sick for 12 years. Mm-hmm. So letting God meet me in my weakness is something that I've had to do for a really long time. And I'm going to have to keep doing. Mm-hmm. And I don't, I would like to circumvent that. I would like to be able to show up differently but this is the life that i have and for all of us right now this is the life that we have don't lose heart in showing up to lead out of a place of weakness and lead people through this uh darkness this cloudy place of uncertainty please remember that usually exile is a long time and that can feel defeating but i think i think it can be hopeful too that there's there will be joy in the middle of it we will experience this like invisible god placing his hand on our shoulder and saying i'm with you i'm with you um but it's it's this is for the long haul yeah we and we and we don't we don't I'm not even sure what it's always about. I think because we maybe been so bred or uh, encultured to say, well, it's okay to be vulnerable as long as it's not for too long. Right. As long yeah. as I, I can be sad, but then. Um, or I, as long I, as it's a strategy to be mm, successful, to get out of this. Wow. But we don't know like that. God's not, God doesn't ask us how to get out of this faithfulness is just being in it Mm. and and letting and having to trust that he will guide us through he will bring us out of this but that's not up to us we we have to be willing to to be in it so so Speak to this a little bit, if you would, then, because some, I mean, I, I love that idea of, and I'm, um, I think if, we're, if people are in Enneagram, I'm a four, you're a four. So, yeah. I mean, so I can jump into, I mean, being in the dark places is, comes actually fairly natural to, naturally to me. I mean, uh-huh. even I can, uh, I can, I can sink, you know, and then start excavating from there. Um, and, and yet, there, so there, there's being real and then there's uh, and, and being honest with what's going on inside. But there is that part of God actually meeting us or or allowing him to or inviting him to um, when when we are in that dark place or we are in that just, uh, you know, everything seems so bleak, um, you know, that I feel like like this, like it looks outside right now, like the sun isn't coming out again anytime soon. Mm-hmm. Um you know what how do what do we cling to in a way that's authentic and real that's not just put on a happy face or try and you know psych myself into a better better you know spiritual state but what does that authentically in your you know perspective look like to let jesus meet us there yeah 
I, I fall back on practices. Hmm. So I can't, I'm not at a place in my life and in my growth that I can fully rely. <laughs> I don't think it was meant to be either, but rely on my nervous system to always feel held and safe in the love of God. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't, I can't just expect that I will feel authentically connected to God um, where I am at any given moment of the day. And so I think I have experienced for myself and I think this is true for all of us that like having places, having practices to anchor us, to bring ourselves home to the love of God, even if we don't feel like we're there. We don't feel like we walked through the door and sat down on the couch. We still, we come back to this place where we are acknowledging this greater reality than the reality that our bodies are feeling right now. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, you know, for me, that's my centering prayer practice is a big yeah. part of this. Like mm-hmm. I notice, I notice when it's been days that I've, that I haven't sat down. I'm in my study right now in my chair where I, where I sit is to my left. And I know well, there's days when I have not sat in that chair and just made space for my body to calm down to acknowledge for me like my one of my words that I pray is held held and Mm. like I'm guessing with like a spiritual formation kind of podcast a lot of people listening are are kind of aware with centering prayer you like repeat an anchoring word because our minds tend to wander and you know I'll start to think of all the things I need to do today or how just this doesn't feel real or this feels purposeless, but I just, you know, repeat held, held, held. And sometimes it's as that's, I just repeat the word over and over again. And mm. that's all that happens in, in that time frame of sitting in that chair in prayer, but it changes me and it yeah. changes my experience of where I am when I give myself space to, anchor my body and story in the presence of the God who's always here, but I can't always see. It's so good. It's so good. Thank you for that. Just a very practical, tangible, um, you know, those practices like that, that aren't necessarily, uh, you know, I may not every day feel this, this warm fuzzy or, or, or maybe anything at all. And like, and yet, that um, that regular practice. Even I, I love the the image though that you gave us too of sitting in a. a this is the chair. This is yeah. the place. Even that because we are so embodied, you know. And you were talked about that in your book and refer to Jamie, Jamie Smith's work in, um, you know, we are what we love and we're not brains on a stick, right? And so, 
So I have the similar practice that, that, you know, this is the chair in the morning and this is the candle I light. And this is the, you know, the practice of just, just sitting and my body starts to get familiar with that. And, and it doesn't always necessarily like feel great, but, but having those practices do, do anchor, uh, they anchor us physically and, um, spiritually and in just uh, our whole body, our whole self. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. And the other one that I want to encourage people that I, I probably talk about like ad nauseum um, <laughs> is breath prayer. Mm. Because like I said earlier, I think all of our nervous systems are way more in a state in our sympathetic state of fight or flight. And the other day I saw someone say like, I feel like I'm seeing, I'm experiencing like the worst side of everyone most Mm -hmm. of the time and i bet a lot of people listening can relate to that maybe you feel like you are the worst side of yourself most of the time right now (laughs) and (laughs) right and that's like that's an embodied thing that's not just a you're not being like you're not trusting god it's like your your nervous system is feeling stressed Mm. all the time right now and there are triggers of there are cues of danger all around us and so we have to have a way to care for this state of stress in ourselves and come back home and the thing that I have been most helped by is breath prayer of this simple and I I anchor it too you can see with me I use like a holding cross too that I just carry with me all the time I keep at my Mm. desk I hold it while I counsel my therapy clients and things like that too. But as a, like, it's my physical reminder to breathe, but we can, when we take a breath, we take a breath in and then out and you can extend your exhale a little bit that offers your nervous system a a moment, a pause to calm down. Mm. And you can pair that breath with with prayer. So for me, it's, it's just simple Lord on my inhale, have mercy on my exhale, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I do this in my head and I can do it any moment. I've been doing it throughout this um, interview. I, I do it in therapy sessions with my clients. I do it um, when I'm out and about, I do it in fights with my husband. Like <laughs> it's my habit. It's become a mm-hmm. habit and it works this sense of relief and almost like I I'm here. It, it brings you back to yourself and even neurobiologically it's, it's a tool that helps you reconnect back to the parts of your brain that help you stay, you know, keep your cool, uh, keep perspective. It's the prefrontal cortex. So cultivating this habit of these simple prayers in our moment that are embodied in our, in our many, many moments throughout the day of rising stress is how actually our days can be like invaded by and just gushing with moments of connection with God. Those three words, Lord have mercy, 
seem to be the cry of all of our hearts, right? And we, we don't know what to do with the latest pain or the latest uncertainty or the latest whatever it is. And that, but that, but not just a, it's not just that little, um, you know, uh, prayer that we shoot off towards heaven, but it's actually I, anchoring it in our breath, in our body, that mm-hmm. God meeting us right there. That's so good. Wow, thank yeah. You and it, it says like you're the stress that's happening in you. It matters. Mm. And like we, we talked about earlier, story follows state. So you're going to, as you shift your physiological sh- state from stress to a little bit more calm, as you bring the kindness of God to your stress, mm. you're going to believe the story that God's with you, even though you don't know what, how your life's going to improve or how these problems are going to go away. You're going to believe that story more and more as you let God meet you in your stress. Wow. Thank you for that. That's so rich. Kind of, it's a, just in a very, very simple and doable practice that, uh, and I love even the tangible, the physicality of not only breath, but even a, uh, a, for you, like a cross you hold in your hand or something, a tangible, these physical reminders, again, that we are, we, again, I think, and maybe it's evangelical churches, we tend to be so much, if I just believe the right thing, and I know the right truth, right, then it's gonna, that'll just take care of it. But, but to honor the whole totality of our, of our whole self seems so, um, so important, and, and honestly, kind of missing, uh, isn't it? It is missing. Mm. Yeah. And it's, it's so, I just know from experience that when we let our bodies be part of our day and our faith, our joy grows. Mm. So KJ, as we, you know, uh, maybe just a few more minutes together here, but I, it, when, as you think of pastors and leaders and we acknowledge, boy, they're all experiencing this season, prolonged season of, of stress and of uncertainty and of how to lead, how to take care for them, how to care for their own souls, which um, we could talk a whole lot about that. But, um, but then they're trying to care for others too. What, what do you see that's, maybe I'll go this way. What, what do you see that's encouraging you in the, in, in, in pastors or leaders that you see, what are points of, of light or hope that you see that encourage you these days? Yeah, I love that. I love that so much because we focus often on what's wrong. And, you know, I definitely do my fair share of talking about what's wrong in my book too. So it's good to point out what's going right. And mm. so, I mean, my own pastor comes to mind, mm. Jordan. Uh, mm. He has been intentional to reach out to us Mm. and to check in how are you guys doing you know on um i had a really tough week a couple weeks ago i think it's been two weeks now and his wife brought me flowers and put them outside our apartment and uh and texted and said you have a little surprise waiting outside your apartment and there were flowers and I know we can't do that all the time in every way, but it's like just that simple, the simplicity of acknowledgement of the hard things that our people are going through matters. I I can't tell you 
how many times it's it's these things like my mentor wrote the foreword of the book um kelly texted one day it's like so many times where these moments when i am feeling forsaken by god when the suffering feels like too much when exile is just too much and he has texted right then Hmm. i felt like i was supposed to pray for you and i just want you to know i'm praying for you and i i guess i it's it strengthens me it reminds me i am seen by god i am held by him i am not alone and it's it's so simple but i think i'm trying to trust that when I feel prompted, when I remember someone, when someone comes to mind, that's that's a holy invitation to participate in God's story of sight toward them. Mm. And I'm seeing, you know, pastoral people, pastors, former professors, like these people do that for me. And I and I want to encourage those who are listening. To, to let yourself do that with your just people. Let, yeah. Just that simple act of a text, uh, a, a, a note, just, hey, God brought you to mind and I'm praying for you, thinking of you. Yeah. Um, it's just, it, I mean, it's it's powerful. It's not, we. it doesn't, we can't solve each other's problems um, usually, but that, that acknowledgement that you are remembered uh it's how it it's how God's remembrance of us becomes real. And and I'm seeing I'm seeing that in pastors all over. And it, that brings me a lot of hope. And it's something I've been deeply blessed by personally. Um, so I want to see more of that. Yeah, it's how God I love that. That's a great that's a great uh, phrase. How God's remembrance of me becomes real. That's um, that's really and, beautiful. And this isn't. It's not. That's not just like. I want us to pause. Like it's not a. This is not just like a pretty theological sounding thing. Like those moments when Kelly has texted me, they have been moments when I was in great need, hmm. and he lives on the other side of the country. <laughs> And, and God brought me to mind then, like we actually are participating with the Holy Spirit in an unfolding story of love. The Spirit really is active and moving and here. And if we're listening, we get to make love tangible. And I think that's astounding. It's a, I mean, you think of, I just think of a text as such a simple act, and yet it's a, it's a holy work, a holy invitation to uh, be part of the sacred story and together. That's, that's really profound. Let me ask you maybe just a kind of a last question. This is kind of random. Okay. So, um. What's a good, what is one of the best questions you've been asked in recent 
or better. A best always gets, you know, uh-huh. to like, oh, I don't know what's the best. But what's a, what's a really good question someone's asked or you've heard someone ask recently? I thought, oh, that's a good one. Because I think some of those questions are more important than even the uh, the answers we can come up with. But Yeah, or, man, that's, that's actually hard. I'm trying to think what, because I know people have asked me some good questions lately. And I've probably got my journal in front of me. I've probably uh, written some down to ask myself, but I'm going to go with what's just coming to mind. It's not really, it's more of a statement, not a question, but I've got this little sticky note, um, you know, sitting at the desk where I do my sessions with my clients and, Mm. and I'm all virtual and I will be Mm. for a long time, which I am sad about, but uh, it says, like the most powerful phrase I can say in therapy, this is a reminder to myself is tell me more about that. Mm. So it's not, it's like, it's, it's basically a question of prompting saying like, you're welcome to tell me more. And Mm -hmm. I, this doesn't, of course, it's probably not where you were intending for it to go, but I think just this remembrance that people need to be invited to take up space and to share where they're at. And most of us feel like we're a burden and like most of us have, have lots of experiences of feeling shamed or hurt uh, for when we've shared things that are close to our hearts. Yeah. And it's, and so because of that, we need to be invited to share again. We need to be kind of like kindly um, reminded that it's safe to share and to learn again that it's safe to share. So I don't know, yeah. you know, if that's good. people that are listening, if that's what they, if something someone needs to hear, but sometimes the, the most powerful thing that we can do is just say, tell me more about that. And actually mean it. And then like practice paying attention to the answer. And man, people have things to say. That's so good. And I think whether it's with your your spouse or significant other, whether it's with your family, whether it's with someone in your church, someone in your life, I think. And then again, as we're speaking to leaders, I think that's the that's such another critical piece. And we'll probably be saying this over and over again on this podcast is to say is to ask for leaders, for pastors, for others, who are the people in your life that are safe, right? That you have cultivated safe spaces that you can, you can be held, that you can be um, honest, totally transparent and vulnerable with uh, a therapist, a spiritual director, uh, close friends, and that we have to be intentional about cultivating those for our own souls to be uh, attended to. Absolutely. Uh, I was like just before this interview um, in the car with my husband and we were just talking about that. We were, we were talking about how really, unless you intentionally like seek out those people where you get to be known as more than a pastor, you might, you probably will after a, swirl of years find yourself in a place where you're not known Mm -hmm. and you feel this deep sadness that you're not known 
um, so that we were just talking together about like that intentionality that's required to give yourself that space to be known just as who you are, not what you do. Absolutely. And how hard it is. It is. And, and we can so easily, you know, default to that, that role that, that comes our identity and, and for a while we can take comfort in it sometimes. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then we find that, um, as I just recently went through transition myself from stepping out of pastoring in a local church to a, a, a role, you know, with the ministry I'm in now here, Wellspring, um, finding, oh, wow, I was much more connected to that identity than I even realized. And, um, but if who are those people that I can be fully honest and real with what's really happening inside of me? And I see so many leaders that haven't, you know, again, it's not going to come by, uh, you, without intentionally cultivating it and pursuing it. So, it's so, so important. I know you're wrapping up, but what would you say in your experience hmm. of this? What's your one or two things that you would encourage pastors to do to seek those people out? Because yeah. we have so many reasons not to, um, well, namely I, busyness so and right. duties, <laughs> right? Well, it's funny. I was just listening this morning on my uh, drive-in to an interview with Gordon McDonald, who is 80 years old now. And if people mm -hmm. are maybe familiar with him, maybe not. But just a guy wrote a classic years and years ago called Ordering Your Private World. And and he's like, here's, but one of the first, he says 15 things that now that I'm 80 years old. And one of the very first ones was, you know, put on your calendar those relationships that are most important and put those on first and build other things around that. And so obviously things like your, your spouse or your family, but I just think one, I mean, I don't know for me, I, my wife and I joke that we both like, feel like we need a whole team of people to just help us function. So, you know, I'm, I mean, we've been in counseling on and off, but mostly on for much of our, uh, our adult lives. We both are in spiritual direction. Um, and those are things that I have to prioritize and make space for. And then, and then certain friends that I can be, and sometimes I'll just say pastors, it may not be inside their church um, mm -hmm. because, you know, some of the stuff you're struggling with is stuff people in your church aren't maybe meant to hold, but to have, but you gotta be able to be real somewhere mm -hmm. and having those kinds of, um, of safe friendships where you can just be fully yourself and be seen and give each other that gift of what you just said of like, tell me more. And then I'm not going to be rejected or I'm not going to just get us, uh, uh, you know, a, a cliche answer or, um, or just, or a puzzled look, but just someone that can be in that space with me. I think those are just so important. And mm -hmm. then I, and I think like you, those personal practices are, you know, are so essential too to prioritize those things. Because ultimately, I can't I, I can't lead people or shepherd people towards Jesus if I'm not, you know, um, if I'm not making that space to not 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 that ever going to do that perfectly, but that I, I'm not um, being within myself, you know, mm -hmm. kind of take, so uh, and not just for the sake of leading them, but for the sake of honestly my own soul before God. So, mm -hmm. yeah, I well, love that. So, 
Well, KJ, I want to just kind of point people towards uh, towards you and towards what you're uh, you're doing. You have a website, kjramsey.com, and it's R A M S E Y dot com, and you um, have a mailing list people can sign up for, right? Mm-hmm. And they, of course, need to go buy your book, uh, <laughs> and uh, and they can get that on Amazon or many other places, I assume. Yeah, there's well. links on my website too. Perfect. And um, and you also have a, a, a podcast that you do. And so I people do. can find that at the, uh, the finest purveyors of, of podcasts, <laughs> yeah. I assume. Um, yep. Same name and, as the book. Okay. And then yeah. they can follow you also on Instagram because I, I am doing that as well. Um, yeah, you, I'm on all the places. Instagram's my favorite. But I know I'm you post some great and, pictures. Oh, thank you. I love I love the like getting to share beauty. So that's, that's why Instagram is yeah. my favorite. And uh, you live in a beautiful place, so that that helps. Uh, it so. does help. Wow. Well, KJ, thank you so much for making this time and for the uh, just the gift, honestly, of your words and your wisdom. And um, we're just I I just pray that God will continue to use you to speak hope and life even in the midst of, and especially in the midst of what we are all uh, truly experiencing. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to today's conversation. I hope it's been helpful to you. For more information about Wellspring, please go to our website, wellspringca.org, or check us out on Facebook. Just look up the Facebook page of Wellspring and lots of resources and information there. Until next time, grace and peace.